Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rover Talk. Today we have a really special episode because we're going to update you. There's going to be a lot of disco in this episode. As usual, Dan, Wagon Boy TD on Instagram and Bring a Trailer and every other um, site forum and stuff like that. Uh, Dan, we have a lot of disco talk today, don't we? We do. How are, how are you, first of all? Uh, I'm good. Are you surviving the last of the Chicago winter snow? Yeah, I mean, it, we got spoiled from Saturday, but... Uh... Yeah. Well, today we're going to talk about... We're going to have our usual market updates. Dan's going to tell us a little bit about uh, L322 and disco mechanical problems, issues, and stuff like that. And I am going to finally discuss the Upper Peninsula Winter Classic Travel. Dan, tell us about the market. <laughs> well, I think that market... For obvious reasons, has kind of settled um, back to somewhat normal just because of things that are going on in the world. Um, but we're seeing some prices come back down to reality, which is great for uh, for a lot of buyers. Um, classics are still Range Rover classics are still trading better than they were a few years ago. Um, just not as good as they were five months ago. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm happy to see it settle down a little bit and I'm sure a lot of, uh, buyers as we come upon, you know, summer season, uh, I think it's good for the market. Well, good. I, I agree. I'm seeing a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, a little bit more moderation in, in market prices, which I think is in more their actual real value than that kind of bubble that we went through. Yeah. But anyway, Dan, tell us about your, you've had some um, L322s and your disco is back from. Yeah. So I had, uh, so my disco first. So uh, not that long ago I had it, I took it in uh, to our friends up North to have um, my transmission and clutch uh, gone through and I uh, had it both uh, the clutch and the transmission uh, rebuilt um, and kind of upgraded the fork uh, in the clutch system and uh, drove it back. You know, the shop that I take it to is like 35 miles north. And so it was great to, to after I pick it up, get it out on the, what we call the Edens here, which is one of the faster uh freeways in, yeah. our, in the chicago system um probably second to the dan ryan um but it it, it ran great fifth gear now is is fantastic i mean there wasn't any issue with the fifth gear uh going into it um like some can get with the transmission that this has which is the lt77 um but it it one's great you know they treated me right um price wise and i'm very very happy with it so i'm excited to get it uh back out for the spring once uh it warms up you know it was 70 on saturday but i was out on the trail so i hope to get that out soon and then my l322 my 08 was due for emissions and so of course in preparation for that like it was probably three weeks before i had to get the test i started 
um, just changing out some stuff preemptive. Um, I needed uh, a couple of things anyways, like I was going to replace the throttle body. So, you know, true to form, once I get in there and change out the throttle body, I'm like, well, this PC hose looks a little uh, jinky. So then I started to like basically upgrade from the air filter through the whole line, which is, you know, you have the air filter, the mass airflow sensor, then you have the throttle body. Um, then it's, then you have the PCB valve. So, you, you know, you have the whole line. So of course, you know, what do I do? I literally replace everything in there because this is now this this 08 now is gonna be 120 so you know the stuff was due was gonna needed to be uh replaced for uh, for, the, for those of you that don't know dan is a while i'm in there type of guy so he'll replace something will need to be swapped and you need to take off three or four things and so he'll replace them especially all since i'm like uh i'm right there and i can see that like Certain hoses are original, janky. They have a hundred, close to hundred twenty thousand miles on it. So that means that if you ever, if Dan ever decides to sell one of his cars, you want to buy it. Oh. <laughs> you want to buy it. Oh, thanks. Yes. Um, so with that being said, um, I was still getting, uh, you know, too lean. Uh, codes on there, and I'm like, well, this is like impossible. So of course, then what do you do? You do smoke test so we ran three smoke tests nothing was sucking it in nothing everything was uh you know was copacetic and then i've done a little bit of research and talking to my local land rover specialists we're like you know we've literally you know nothing is coming with these three smoke tests so i'm like well what's it gonna be so my uh, specialist said, well, why don't you, why don't you just update your PCM? And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So I looked a little into that and, uh, found only one dealership, Land Rover dealership that's willing to work on cars or Land Rovers that are over 10 years, which is pretty hard to find these days because there's so many issues with Land Rovers that are between, uh, 2012 and, 2015 that they really have no time to do uh, anything older. But I did find someone um, out in the burbs that was willing to to reflash it, which I kind of equate that to like when your apps, you know, ask for an update and you click through all the things and you update it. Uh, you just go in, have Land Rover, make sure that the software in your PCM is completely up to date took it out there they reflashed it nice enough to do it it you know it doesn't take that long um there was two things in there that did need to be uh updated uh they took care of it came back drove it uh for about i don't know i think this weekend we put probably like another 350 miles on it everything uh clean bill of health everything was good running it ran great because you know usually when it's too lean it's you're not gonna 
you're not going to feel any uh, differences. And so the only way you would know that is if you do a health check on, on your uh, emission system and checked out uh, clean bill of health. So I was pretty happy with that. It was, you know, something that had to be done anyways because none of those things had been replaced because this car that I bought had come with uh, really great records and uh, none of those things had been uh, replaced up until when I replaced them. So, Well, good. I'm glad that that was solved. Um, it was kind of driving me a little bonkers, especially like after the third smoke test. I'm like, this is like crazy because we I thought, well, it's got to be an exhaust leak. There can't be anything else that is like sucking air into the system when everything was so tight and you know new from uh the filter on so but figured it out got it done um as back to normal like i said we went on that pretty long trip this weekend so well good all right so did you i, I want to know I'd like to, you know, remember, we're at RoverTalk55 at Gmail. If you use your classic Land Rover in winter or do winter trips, we want to know about them. So please reach out to us. We want to hear what you have to say. I've always thought that I needed to do a winter trip with a classic Land Rover. And so for this, I enlisted, oddly enough, my mother because uh, she grew up in southern Arizona and learned how to drive in an international scout yes manual and my grandfather was very much a fan of the road trip and then going out camping and into the desert and into the mountains and all that and so i asked my mom i said well would you like to do a trip and she was absolutely ecstatic so with that premise in mind i thought what do i want for this trip and so i thought about either a 200 tdi or 300 tdi disco or a same engine, or I would have taken a VM Range Rover Classic. And the idea, which is which is what what we did, was to do it in the depth of the winter. Now was now was your choice of because it sounded like you had in your mind that it was going to be a diesel, like you wanted to do I, a diesel in this winter track. Is that right? Or I definitely wanted a diesel. I, if I would have, I mean. I, I, I kind of because you've had like you've had petrols come through your hands actually really super recent so you must have had like in your mind you're like I'm gonna do I really want it to be a diesel and was it to see how it would handle or yes that was one of the things so it was bit kind of based on availability it was what I could find too to be honest yeah. because it it kind of I wanted to do it in the middle of the winter and I actually preferred a diesel just because I like it better. Yeah. I wanted a manual and I really did want to see how they perform in the winter because I think it's something that, you know, diesels have this kind of aura that they don't work in the winter or they don't start or stuff like that. So I thought, you know, what a great opportunity to actually take one of these on a, on and, a test little, and test it. Yeah. Right. So our initial route was going to be around Lake Michigan, starting in Chicago Going up north through Wisconsin, Upper Peninsula, and then coming back down Michigan, Indiana, and back into Chicago. We didn't have a designated route initially, but as the date got closer, all of a sudden more people wanted to come on this trip. So we included my uncle, who is 
both my mom and uncle are plus 70. And then my six-year-old daughter, uh, I decided that it was much more fun for her to come on a road trip in a classic car in the middle of the winter. Than... Wait, now, have you told us what vehicle you're no, taking? No, I'm, I'm getting there. Okay, I'm okay. There. I just wanted to make sure, like, I didn't. So, so... Just so, just so we know, the occupants became my mother and my uncle, both plus 70, and my daughter, who's six. And all of them are traveler and road warriors. They are seasoned travelers, all of them, and they are all up for the adventure. So back in, um, what was it, December, I went to Spain on one of my usual trips, and I found a 1990... 200 TDI Disco in Coral in Red, which is a non-metallic color, a very rare color. I believe it was only 89, 90, and 91 that it was available. Would you equate that to like a Ferrari Red? I mean, I just saw it out outside. It's it's like a... It's a Ferrari Red, but it's not as bright. Right. I'd say the tone and the shade are Ferrari Red. A little but deeper? It, a little deeper and a little less bright. Yeah. And it's not a metallic color, so it's basically a matte, not a matte finish, but it's a regular paint with clear coat on top, no metallic flake, no, no, nothing fancy of the color, basically a basic color. And it's, I've never actually seen one in coral and red, to be honest. I've seen other versions of red in later discos, but never in a Gen 1, 1990. Anyway, this disco was located in the city of Tarragona, in the, in the region of Catalonia in Spain. So I got on a train, which is fantastic. You know, the train from Madrid to Tarragona takes two hours and 45 minutes. If you want to do it by car, it's five and a half hours. So I got on the train, and then the the first part was, of course, um, Spanish people take their long lunches, right? Yeah. So this car was at a, a used dealership, and they closed from 2 to 4 for lunch. So my train was getting there at 2.30, and I told the guy, I said, well, you know, I'm coming from Madrid all this story and you know and he's like okay i can see you at four <laughs> so right yeah. there's like no question it was yeah. not, wasn't like oh yeah i'll see you at three it's like he's like i don't know why you're asking me i'm still not going to meet you until four yeah and then and then i get to the so i it, I, I don't want to get into the political stuff about that that part of the world but anyway i get there and i realized once i'm on the train that the 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 name of the station is tarragona camps and Camps is field in the Catalan dialect. And so I thought, I wonder why this is. And of course, I figured out once I got there, the train station is in the middle of a field. There's nothing around. There's right. no, there's there's nothing. You literally, there's not a restaurant or a bar. It's not in the middle of the city like most train stations are. So it's literally the middle of nowhere. So I, well, I figured, well, I got in a cab. I made it to the, to the dealership, which was an industrial park. And I've, every industrial park in, in Spain has a has a restaurant bar. So it was kind of nice. I sat there, ate some lunch. You know, you know what was really funny too is all the waitresses in the in the in the in the restaurant bar were dressed kind of like sexy Santas, which I thought oh, was really hilarious. It was December, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so finally I met um, I met Antonio at, at four p.m. at his at his dealership. He opened up the 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 big door and I saw the car which was parked inside and my first impression was great I I really did like it well we'll post some pictures Dan posted some pictures this week if you were following Rover Talk on Instagram which is Rover Talk um, please do and 
the car looked really good. I got underneath. It was clean. It was an original Barcelona car. I spent all its life in the region of, of Tarragona and Barcelona. And um, so I thought it was great. So I test drove it, obviously, after looking at, you know, inside out, everything that needed to be looked at. And here's the funny part. Every time I would turn on the heat or air conditioning, the blower motor would blow a fuse. So I didn't have a lot more time and I really wanted the car, but I knew that fixing the car was going to be, fixing the blower motor was going to be kind of a labor intensive thing. And I didn't want to do that myself because I just didn't want to do it. And of course, I thought if I take this to a shop, it's going to set me back a few hours. Well, more than a few hours. Anyway, I didn't negotiate the price and I told the guy, I said, look, I'll buy it at your price, but you have to fix the heat. And so we came to an agreement and it was all good. So with that done, I figured, okay, well, now we have the car for the road trip. Um, which, by the way, if you're listening, it will be coming up on Cars and Bids because we're going we're gonna to let this one go because I can't keep them all. And so I booked the shipping. I made it to um, the port of Santander. And then, and then we had the dates planned so that the car was supposed to arrive on February 11th. And we were supposed to leave on our trip on the 20th. So I thought it'll take me a couple days to get it to Chicago. I can test drive it, look it over, prepare for the trip. And on February 6th, I get an email from the shipping company that they've delayed their, their ship for two days. I thought, well, okay, we're going to cut a little bit tight, but I guess that can be. Two days later, they delay it another two days. And the next day, they delay it another day. Anyway, to make a long story short, we have seven days of delay, leaving me absolutely no time to prepare. So I changed the whole dates of the trip. I call my mom. I say, well, why don't you delay a week? I call my uncle. We're going to delay this a week. And I get things, you know, more or less in order. Finally, the car between shipping and road shipping and finding a shipper and getting cleared through customs and everything done and down to Springfield to get the paperwork and the license plates, I get the car on a Saturday afternoon and we're leaving on Monday morning. So I now noted, I, fortunately, I, I know the cars well. So I, I, I've had a few discos. Um, I know what I need to look at. I, I, I get the feel, you know, in a disco, when you get into the car and you start it and you drive it, you get the feel feeling right away. You know that it's solid or not solid. If it's good run or not, good runner. Right. So, but that literally just gave you like two days. In two days' time, you're about to get on a highway with a car that you really haven't had an opportunity to shake down. That would be which great. Is, which is, you know, what we call part of the fun. But Yeah, and, and fortunately my family's up for it, so they kind of see it as part of the fun as well. Anyway, so before that, Dan and I had spoken about you know, we obviously, we, we talk a lot about stuff like this. I said, Dan, what do you think, you know, what parts do you think I need to have? And so what I ordered for the car before coming were a set of belts, a set of hoses, a set of glow plugs, a water pump, and a thermostat. And the gaskets for everything. And, of course, an oil filter and, and diff oils and all that. So I get the car on a Saturday afternoon and I'm thinking, okay, where's my priority? So my priority, number one, 
which is going to be obvious to, to, to most of you that are listening, is I need to undercoat the hell out of this car because I don't want the salt on it, right? Because we're going in the middle of winter, and I don't, you know, salt is used everywhere in the Midwest. So, yeah. So my first order of business was obviously to just change the oil of the car because I don't know how, when, long it's been, yeah. how long it's been and I want fresh oil for a long trip. I obviously looked at all the belts, looked at all the hoses, looked the at coolant, the, the, the usual, coolant, yeah. the usual. I did my little review. I saw that it started well. I And so, but when I first took it around the block, just as it came to me, I realized that it was taking it for a little while to warm up. So the temperature needle was never going past the sea. And I figured, well, it's coming from a long road trip. It's cold. You know, who knows? But I didn't have all that much time because I needed to get it undercoated. And undercoating needs to sit for at least 24 hours. Yeah. Um, so I pulled it into the garage, changed the oil, and then I can't remember the name of the product that I used, but I sprayed the hell out of it. I mean, literally everything. Did, so did you, like... Oh, you, you just said you don't remember. So was that like a wax oil? Or it was, was a, it's 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 the one in the red bottle. It's called something film. I can't remember. Fluid film? Fluid film. Yeah. Fluid film. Because here's the thing. I didn't want anything that was permanent. I didn't want to undercoat it with anything that was, that was going to leave um, something behind. I wanted something that could be washed off. And, and reapplied because that way you're not if you undercoat your car with something with some other type of undercoating m m spray of any type that's usually going to trap any humidity that there could be there right. if you use something like fluid film or WD-40 or a series of different products that they're on the market you have to reapply every year or every two years right. but it's not going to trap the humidity and it's just going to protect the exterior so I've always thought that that's the way to go. The other thing that I also did to protect it was that I gave it, I gave the chassis a coat of of anti-rust paint. Now the chassis on this one is very clean, fortunately, like all like most Spanish cars. Right. So I knew that it, I wasn't trapping anything there, but I wanted to give the chassis, since it's the most structural part of the car, an extra layer of coating. So first of all, I gave it that paint. And then once that paint was dried, I started spraying the rest of the undercarriage completely. I mean, it was just, I bathed it because I figured, you know, this can always be washed off. I can take it when I get back to, to a shop to get the undercarriage just washed. Mm -hmm. And I think it was absolutely necessary to protect absolutely everything. Now, the only spot you have to be careful with are the brakes because you don't want to get this stuff on your, on your, on your um, Rotor. rotors. Yeah. So you have to be very careful when you're spraying your rotors, and also the the front ball joint, the front ball thingies. What are those called? Where the swivel balls. The swivel balls. You also don't want to get it on the swivel balls because yeah, you then don't you don't want to spray it on that chrome. Anything that's like yeah, anything that like is shiny and silver is supposed to be shiny and mm -hmm. silver for a reason down below. Yeah. So I sprayed the hell out of it, and basically that set me on Sunday night, Monday morning. I really didn't have time to do anything else. I should have probably changed the diff fluid, but I didn't go for it because I wasn't sure if maybe I couldn't get the, the they looked pretty good, but I didn't know if I was gonna be able to get the, the caps back on, and then I can't take the car anywhere because I needed it. So I went for just a basic oil, coolant seemed to be in very good shape, and you know the car just ran very well. That's, yeah. that's, that, that's the honest part of it. 
So here we are Monday morning and I have my mother, my uncle, and my daughter in a car that I've done about 10 kilometers in, maybe yeah, what, six miles. What was the temperature on Monday? And Monday wasn't bad. We were we were in mid thirties. Okay, mid thirties. So, our first stop in the trip was by request of my mother to go tubing. Yes, tubing. You mean like snow tubing? Snow tubing. So, in our quest to make it all the way up the upper up to the upper peninsula, we went to a place in Portage, Wisconsin, about one hundred and seventy miles. And the other thing that we wanted to do on this trip was we, we didn't want to take any highways if possible. So we wanted usually to do back roads and, you know, roads that you're comfortable at going maybe 45, 50, because that's part of the fun about seeing the countryside and, you know, stopping in the little towns. Anyway, we made it to Portage, but as we were in the car, and it was a surprisingly good day in terms of weather, I was noticing that we weren't barely making the temperature of the car past the sea. And, of course, we didn't really have any heat. Now, the blower motor worked, right? Right. And so at that point, I'm thinking, what can be wrong with this system if they, in theory, had repaired the heat? But, of course, all they did was repair the blower motor. Right. I'm thinking, well, something must be wrong in the system. Anyway, that was day one. Day two, we hopped over to Green Bay, and we went to a wildlife uh, sanctuary where we were supposed to do a snowshoe hike, but there wasn't a whole lot of snow that day either. We were in still the mid-30s. Was that the, when you sent the picture, was that when you were on the, what looked like the salt flats? No, that was that, was that day. After the sanctuary, uh, we took a back road up to Escanaba, Michigan, which was where we had a hotel reservation. And as we were going on the, the one of the roads that was right next to the lake, every time I'd see a turn in, I'd go to the lake. And I, on one of the turn-ins, it was a very isolated road, made it all the way to the lake. And the lake had one of those uh, points where you can put your boat in. Like a boat dock. A boat dock, right? And as I see the lake, and here we were a little bit colder. Here we were probably in the the mid-20s. Still no heat. Of course, I had a bunch of blankets. We were all the way up in Green Bay. Yeah. Of course, we had a bunch of blankets, and everybody was well-prepared in terms of their attire. And I see the lake, and I see that there's like three pickups out in the lake, in the frozen lake. Ice fishing. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, I look at my uncle, and I say, well, we're we're doing this. And so I went down down the boat, and of course, I drove out onto the lake. When when I mean I, I can't help myself I'm stupid. Well, you'll that. you'll never probably ever have another chance to. Yeah. So we drove out onto Lake Michigan, frozen lake. Uh, the car only I mean it was kind of steep to get in, but I didn't have any. Um, I had no qualms about doing that in the disco, and I didn't need to put in. I was going to say, did you need to put it in low or do anything? Nothing. It went in and out like like nothing. Yeah. So. Took a few pictures out on the middle of the lake. We thought that was great. It was one of the objectives of the of the trip after a little after the second day was to drive out onto one of the frozen lakes because we'd seen a few more on the way. And I kept on thinking, I gotta really drive this car in a frozen lake. Anyway, that was really cool. So we made it up to Escanaba, Michigan, and we had a great dinner. We found a restaurant that was really good. Some 
they, they made some really good fried fish and it was it was um it was really cool and the following day we were scheduled to go to mackinac city which is right across the way from mackinac island now mackinac island is part of michigan at north of the upper peninsula but you can't take your car there well where is where is there's like a five mile bridge that's up there that that's the that's the one i wanted to that's the one that crosses from northern michigan into the into the upper peninsula right okay and just east of that is the is mackinac island and mackinac island is supposedly pretty cool but like i said you can't take your car there right so we decided to go to Mackinac City, and I had reserved a couple of snowmobiles so that we could, you know, have a little bit of a snowmobile adventure. And this is where where the, where the fun happens. So we had to cover about 180 miles, and the day before I'd confirmed the snowmobile rental, and they told me the snowmobile rental started at 10 a.m. And they didn't tell me that when I made the initial reservation. They told me... It was basically a full day that you could come in and pick it up at any time before 5 p.m. and then you'd just give it back the next day. Well, that wasn't really the case. Anyway, so I wake up, we wake up the whole family at about 5.30 a.m. And it is butt nasty cold. It's minus 15 seconds. Because you woke up that early because you still had to put another 180 miles. Yeah, we, okay. had, we were in Escanaba, Michigan. We had to do 180 miles to get to Mackinac City. For our snowmobile rental. Right, okay. And of course, we're, you know, we're taking backwards. We're not going super fast. And so everybody piles into the car. It's minus 15 Celsius, which I think is like 5 degrees or 4 degrees. It is butt nasty cold. Now, here, you can tell when your family is a trooper when nobody complains. <laughs> like, nobody right, said yeah. absolutely anything. Oh. We get on the road. The car is not warming up. We're not getting past the sea. We have no heat whatsoever. And so about after an hour, I'm the one that finally I stop at a gas station and I look back at all three of them and I, and I just said, look, I hate the cold. I can't deal with this anymore. Let's stop. Does anybody think we should just stop and try to fix the heat problem and then continue? And they were all like, oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> They're like, so, we weren't going to say anything, but if you want to go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, I, I saw my mom. When I suggested, I saw my mom's face light up, and I was like, okay, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's not a complainer, and they're troopers. Anyway, so we got back on the road, and the next town that we ran into was Manistique, Michigan. And we found a little coffee shop that was open. It was really early. It was about 7.30 in the morning. We hadn't really, or probably closer to 7.00. So we, we got into the coffee shop, we got some coffee, everybody warmed up, and I at that point, I had pretty much come to the conclusion that the problem was a thermostat. So I thought the thermostat is probably stuck open, which is the reason why the temperature gauge is only showing up to about the C, and that's the reason why we're not getting any, any, cold, any hot air, because the air actually blows, but if the temperature of the car is low and the, the heat's not coming in, the thermostat's not holding the right temperature. Right. And that's, you know, I mean, diesels can run forever and hot and cold and they run better a little bit cold. So it's never really a problem for the car per se. Right. As long as it starts. And I'll tell you one thing. That car started in five degrees on the first try. No hesitation. Yeah. I didn't cycle the glow plugs. I didn't need to do anything. It started right up. So we're in Manistique and we're at the coffee shop and... I asked the, 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 the girl at the coffee shop, I said, you know, 
um, I've got a little problem with the thermostat in my car and I need to have it um, fixed. I have the parts with me because that was part of the parts, those were part of the, the parts that Dan and I discussed prior to leaving. And I said, but um, do, would you know anybody? And she said, oh yeah, my brother's got a shop. He just opened, why don't you give him a call? She gives me a number. So I call the brother and he says, I can't get you in today, um, but why don't you try so-and-so? So I called so-and-so and same thing, couldn't get me in today or the following day. So I called the third shop that they told me at the second shop. And so this, this went on until we made it to the fourth shop and nobody could get me in, right? And nobody wanted to buy my sob story of, you know, we're traveling through, it's just a thermostat, you know. I, and so at that point, it's really cold down. I'm thinking, well, maybe it'll warm up a little bit later in the day and, I, and it'll stop blizzard snowing so that I can actually just brave it and do it myself. And a lady comes up to me at the coffee shop and she taps me on the shoulder and she says, I've heard your conversation about trying to find um, a mechanic. A mechanic. Yeah. And I know, and you mentioned that you have the parts. So basically all you need is space, right? And I said, yeah, sure. And she said, well, I am a teacher at the local high school <laughs> and I am going to call the shop teacher. And let's see if they can give you the space to get in there and do the repair yourself. And two minutes later, she says, oh, yeah, we're ready. And it was across the street. That is crazy. So she literally took us across the street. They opened up the big door. And there we drive into the shop class of, of Manistique Middle and High School. And we were welcomed by Bill Wagner, who was the local shop teacher, and a lot of students that were there doing, you know, learning stuff about, they had a, they had a, they had a part where they worked on cars, a car, part where they did carpentry and then general construction, you know, a lot of these things that used to be in everyday high schools, but some of the city high schools have, dropped you know, them. dropped them and, yeah. and it's more in the rural areas. Anyway, Bill Wagner was an absolute rock star and so were the kids at the high school. They were ready for us within a minute. They gave me all the tools that I needed, which I, I had a bunch of tools already. They offered to help. They were very interested in the car and in the process. So I explained a little bit of how, you know, the 200 TDI works. I explained where the thermostat was, you know, um, different issues. And they were, they were just, they were just avid learners. They were that entertained. had to like completely, like if, like if that ever happened in my shop class in high school, I would have just been like over the moon because it just would have been such an experience for these kids but yeah absolutely and i have to go a little tangent here the the thing that 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 i'm most inspired about is that bill wagner who's a shop teacher later showed my uncle jim and i the rest of the you know the shop and the carpentry section and the construction section and he was so proud of those kids. He told us who had won, you know, this award in these state championships and this kid had made third and this other kid had made second. And he was just so, so proud of these kids. And what ultimately, I mean, of course I'm grateful for the help, but you got to give credit to these people that are vocational teachers and that make a difference in these kids' lives because 100%. he taught them a lesson, which is in, in compassion and kindness and general help. And he embodies what a car, what the car community is. I mean, they literally took us in from a call 
from listening to us in a coffee shop. In two minutes, they had us in the shop. They dropped everything they were doing to help us out. And that's a lesson that that Bill gives to the rest of those kids. And that and th- that is what ultimately I think matters the most because those kids are going to understand that, that this is the way that, that, that the world works and the way that the car community needs to work. Yeah. And so, you know, my shout out to Bill Wagner because he was a rock star and he was a rock star for us, but he's a rock star for those kids. And he's so proud of them and he does such great work and he teaches them far beyond the actual mechanicals of cars and, and things like that, you know. It's just his gesture shows the kids what the car community is about and just general compassion. And I think that we need and we have many educators like Bill. And so, Bill, I hope you listen to me here. I'll send you the link. Because not only did he offer us all of his help and everything, but 10 minutes later he was texting me. Did it work? Did it work? If not, bring it back. Aww. So, That's so awesome. Bill... I, I can't thank you enough, but more than me, the people that really need to thank you are the parents of all those kids that you teach on a daily basis and that learn from your example and not only the example of your word, but of your actions. So, um, and I'm sure, you know, they always need, they always need donations, cars. So if you have, you know, things that you want to donate for, for, for the car program at Manistique Middle and High School, reach out to us. We will make sure that Bill and how his team get everything and that they continue to do the excellent work that they do with the with that pride and that vocation and the absolute dedication to those kids. So, Bill, thank you so much. And, of course, thank you on behalf of the parents of those kids. So, with that kind of tangent that we needed to go on. So then, um, with a semi-blizzard snow, we drove around, drove around, drove around. And within about 10 minutes, the temperature needle had slowly moved into the place where it's supposed to go. Straight up. And all of a sudden, I could touch a little bit of heat. Um, and we were on our way to um, to, another, to our next stop. So we decided to skip the Mackinac uh, City because we also found out at that point in time that children under 10 could not go on a snowmobile. So Margaret wouldn't have been able to go, my daughter. Oh, okay. So we went straight up to uh, Munison which is on the edge of Lake Superior. And um, Munising is an interesting, or Munising, I, I, I might have been saying this wrong the whole time. Excuse me if you're from there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Either. Anyway, fantastic little town right on the edge of Lake Superior. We, you know, we went for a few, um, a few little walks around the town. It was, it was quite interesting. And uh, we actually walked out onto Lake Superior, which was also frozen, had plenty of ice fishers. I wasn't as confident to take the car there because the entry and access points were not very easy to get to, and I didn't see any other cars on the ice, and I figured oh, yeah. there might be a reason There's for this. There's a reason, <laughs> yeah. And the only thing I wasn't equipped for something like that is I didn't have a winch, so I knew I couldn't drag my car out of there. Right, yeah. Or a tow rope. Yeah. Um, but in Munising, another curious thing happened. We went up to uh, one of the points that had a lookout, and on the way, we found a car that was stuck in the snow. And obviously, my bad, I didn't have a tow rope, so I couldn't pull it out. But once again, and this is a shout out to the people of the Upper Peninsula, everybody that was there, we just all got out of the car and helped these two poor girls in a Subaru Outback that has fake all-wheel drive or right. you know, 20% all-wheel drive. And there was a guy there, and I didn't don't remember his name. I wish I would have gotten his name, but um, 
but he was really he he was really good at this. So he kind of instructed all of us, and we managed to push that car out. Later, we found out it was a snowmobile trail. It wasn't actually for cars. <laughs> so that's why there was uh, so much snow and why they had gotten stuck and why the edges weren't really kind of um, um, meant for, for use in cars. But right. but again, the disco, no issue whatsoever. Never got stuck. Never missed a beat. Never needed even a cycle of the glow plugs to start. Anyway, Munising uh, was interesting. We were there for two days since we were... Since that was one of our stops, we there were some frozen waterfalls. There's lots of nature stuff. It's a great town if you're a snowmobiler. Yeah. Um, I, I think there, well, I believe, I know, there's many, many, many trails. And, in fact, we stayed at a hotel that had a special parking lot for uh, trailers, for, for snowmobile trailers. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm sure those guys had a lot of fun out there. And the next day, which was our kind of our, our second to last day of the trip, we headed up to... Uh, Marquette, Michigan. Now, the reason we were in Marquette is because my mother decided that she wanted to try luge. Now, I'll I'll let you in on something. (laughs) We later found out that my mother had confused bobsled for luge. And so she thought we were going to do bobsled, but it was luge. luge. And this was in a town uh, called Nagani. I hope I'm saying it right. I hope this time. And so in Nagani, there's the Upper Peninsula Luge Club. And it's a very family-style club. The people there are so nice and fantastic. And they're literally willing to teach you how to luge in, in, in 20 minutes, which was great. But anyway, we arrived at Marquette first. And I had found out that there was a, a trail that you could do some some... Either you could either do a snow bike or you could do cross-country skis or you could have some uh, ski shoes. So we rented some ski shoes and the whole family got on the trail. It was a fantastic day. It really was. Sun was shining. Snow had just fallen. It was probably about 33, 34, 35 degrees. So it wasn't overly cold. And the four of us, two 70-year-olds plus a child and myself, did a trail of about a mile and a half which is fantastic, yeah. with our snowshoes. Some people fell more than others. I, I won't disclose who, um, uh, especially those of us that aren't made for the winter. And uh, and we had a great time. And then, actually, our luge was in the evening. And so we drove out to Nagani. Of course, my daughter forgot her mittens in the hotel, so we had to go to a tractor supply company to buy some type of gloves so she wouldn't uh, freeze yeah. her hands off. And the four of us decided to learn how to luge. And when you learn how to luge, here's, here's the funny part of it. There's really not much to know about how the sled works. So you basically just have to go down the, down the, well, down the pitch. Yeah. It's yeah. just that way. And uh, everybody had, had an amazing time. Uh, my Uncle Jim at 70-something was a natural at luge. I don't, I don't know how he just got on that sled. He luges went... in his free time. Right <laughs> I, th- I, I think he secretly does and he just hasn't told us. But um, everybody had a fantastic time uh, with Luge. Uh, Margaret, my daughter, had a had, had a blast, and um, she was she was just having so much fun doing it. And I, I I think I'm gonna have to find somewhere to Luge near Chicago because she just really loved it. And apparently, at the Upper Peninsula Luge Club, some of the kids of the staff that run it are now competing at an international level. So they're they're getting pretty good at it. Wow. So. So that was a that was a fantastic experience, and the 
trail or the roads to get to the snowshoe trail and to get to luge the vast majority of them were not plowed so it was compacted snow and i am just i can't say i'm surprised but the disco performed flawlessly i never once in the trip had to even put it into low gear lock the diffs or anything just on your regular four-wheel four-wheel drive it got in and out of absolutely everywhere awesome so that was that was fantastic um as i'll do a little bit of a review at the end um about what i think of the car but so our luge was done we got back to the hotel in marquette and then the following day since we didn't have much more time because family needed to leave we drove straight back um the i think it was 350 miles from um from marquette to chicago we did take highways just because of a pure convenience right and i'd say that went perfect just as every part of the trip had, had gone so our grand total was 1790 kilometers which is 1126 miles now let me get to reviewing the car first of all we got over 40 miles to the gallon the entire trip come on i'm not i'm not kidding you because i i registered the amount of diesel we put in all right what math are you using basic okay kilometers done kilometers traveled yeah you know versus gas put in the car you, okay. you, you you know the capacity of the tank you see how much goes in there and you calculate yeah. over 40 miles to the gallon ridiculous as it may seem i mean it just but i'm it trying to like now it probably helps that the 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 when we're on the back roads the speed is perfect because you're literally going about 50 miles an hour 50 55 and that's where your engine gets the best miles per gallon okay all right so that that was uh that was just outstanding well that's amazing that's amazing so overall i'll start with that the mileage was amazing um we did literally got great 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 gas mileage uh what i did do is i added the only thing i added was the octane booster for diesel and i didn't add that to boost the ox octane but because diesel freezes and gets gelled and that prevents it from gelling, so you just take a little bottle and add it a little right. bit every time you um, fill up the tank, especially if you're in cold weather. Um, let's see where else where else was I? Uh, I never so that was the only thing I did. Um, the car, as it is, is is stock. It's got uh, chunkier tires than you would have on on a regular road going Discovery, so that I that helped as well. Um, but on this car, the suspension is stock. Um, the tires are a little bit chunkier. That's it. But they're not bigger. They're just chunkier in, in their in their in their tread. Right. So they're a little bit more on the off-road side. Uh, everything inside the car is stock. It doesn't have any performance upgrades, any yeah, modifications. No, there wasn't. There's not a lift. Mm-hmm. Um. And it 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 handled spectacularly well. Everything was good. It was great on the highway. 55 60 65 sweet spot no need to rush on the back roads it never got stuck we would go into deeper snow and the car but you could do 65 if you had to right 70 oh yeah absolutely yeah it's just when you're on a back road i just don't want people to think that like a 200 is... oh no no oh no yeah. you can do oh yeah you can you can do 75 no problem but on a back road where the speed limits are 50 it's just kind of the right way to do it and yeah. 
And the the disco has such big windows, kind of like the classic does, that you just you kind of enjoy the road in, in in a different way. So, all in all, I have to say that the disco performed fantastic. One and once we got the thermostat issue solved, it became a lot more livable because then we had actual heat inside, um, plenty of space. Obviously, the trunk is enormous, so you can fit you know everything in there we had you, a cooler you, you and, got a lot of stuff in your trunk <laughs> yeah we had a cooler we had a box of parts we had a, a a bag for each of us we had snacks and and it was just great car seat fit in there very well so everybody was super comfortable in the car when it was warm when it was cold maybe not so much but they didn't complain and the good thing about this disco for your rear passengers is that the seat is a little bit higher than the front seat, so they even have an yeah. even greater view than yeah. than you would if you were in the back seat of a different car. Yeah, 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 for sure. So my my, I'm getting unstructured here in my review. Anyway, the car mechanically performed flawless. It you know the gearbox works very well, the engine. So the other thing is we never needed a jump, and I used the battery that was in the car. I didn't replace it. I don't know when it's from, but we never needed a jump. It never hesitated to start. It never um, gave us any issue, and we never even needed to put in low gear to get in and out of the snow at any point in time. So it really is a fantastic car. And I think that when you take a classic Land Rover on a, on a road trip, and especially in the winter, it just makes it that much better because it's a different feel. You know, you you you've got you've got these big airy windows. It's just it's just really cool. Um, everybody loved it, and I asked everybody after the trip was done. I said, well, "Well, if we do another one of these next winter, would you like to take a more modern car?" And everybody said no. Yeah. Everybody said no. Everybody loved the classic. Everybody took some turns driving as well, and they they enjoyed that part too. How's uh, how's Margaret with the stick? Did Margaret's excellent. We did. You remember? Remember the Dana Jones movie where they put blocks of wood on the yes. tied blocks of wood to shoot? That's what we did for her. Okay, good. Anyway, it it really was a fantastic trip. Uh, the highlight for me personally is that, um, well, the highlight is just I enjoy seeing my family have fun. Um, I am not particularly fond of the winter, as you well know, Dan. Yeah. And uh, I've never been to the Upper Peninsula, uh, but I've been fortunate enough throughout my life to travel a lot and basically everywhere that I've wanted to go. Right. Yeah. Um, and so my joy is seeing my family enjoy the trip and have fun. And the other highlight was definitely Bill Wagner and seeing how he, the difference he makes in those kids' lives and, and how far he goes in what he teaches beyond the academic stuff. So, again, I, I want to thank uh, Bill. And, you know, who I left out was the teacher that, that introduced me to Bill. Right. And I didn't get her name. Hopefully someone will chime in and help me here. And we can recognize her, too, for being the the, the kind um, soul that she was listening to me on the phone yeah. call the shops and get constant no's. So that was our great uh, Upper Peninsula Michigan adventure. I think everybody wants to do this again. Dan. I think we need to do this. A hundred percent. I think yeah. we need to do this. Um, we'll talk about how we're going to do this. We do you want, do you want well, to do winter or do you want to do like another season? We just need a, a less reliable car. Hmm. You know, like we need to find something that like, you know, and I know that kind of sounds crazy, but um, yeah, something that. It doesn't say, it sounds, 
here's here I'm, I'm going to tell you a quick now that you say that you just reminded me of my uncle Joaquin when he has taken us during our entire um, youth to Africa on these trips and we were using these beat up Land Rovers and the Pegaso military truck with an adaptive camper when we were kids we didn't understand because we'd break down and it would be like okay well you know gotta get do this fix it yeah and with time we started understanding that the whole objective of the trip was to break down in the middle of the desert when it's 120 degrees and figure in the it sun out. and figure it out yeah and that's when my uncle was the happiest yeah and so now i start understanding so yes let's find something a little bit less reliable so we'll get a toyota oh, oh ooh. That's another. That's another episode. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, for the reliability issue, uh, I have to speak. I mean, the experience has it. I bought this car after test driving it for a few kilometers only. Uh, 1990, 32 years old, no and real service history, but but that's and and if I would have had and the thing is, if I would have if the if the shipping would have brought it to me on time, I would have been able to diagnose and I would have damn, we got to change the thermostat on this thing. Yeah. And we would have done that, you know, in like two minutes. I would have brought it down here. I would have done it in your garage in, in, yeah. you know, in two minutes. But I didn't have that time. And so I was more concerned about protecting the underside than thinking about, you know, I figured, oh, maybe it'll just... But as we know, that's how the universe works. Because then you would have never met Bill Wagner, So I would have never met Bill. Yeah. Anyway, um, God, I, I talked a lot today, Dan. That's all right. That's a great trip. It was a great trip. Well... We'll have uh, more episodes coming up soon. We've got some more stuff to talk about. I've got some more uh, cars that are that are going to be hopefully uh, coming up. The disco will be on uh, cars and bids if you want to bid on it. Um, what you do after listening to this podcast is that A, it has heat, and that B, it's reliable. Yeah. So, Dan, thank you so much again for, um, for joining me, and uh, we'll be back soon. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.